The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the speaker. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice from your own physician. So good afternoon. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about the current state of alternative biomedical engineering approaches to intervertebral disc regeneration. I am Dr. Ken Blank, a former postdoc at Heinz VA Medical Center and a current university lecturer at City Colleges of Chicago and University of St. Francis. And I'm joined by two experts. I'm Celeste Bjornsson. I'm the Director of Spinal Research at the Hospital for Special Surgery in New York. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Ori Busser. I'm an Assistant Professor of Research in the Departments of Orthopedic Surgery and Neurosurgery at Keck School of Medicine of USC. So I would just like to start off uh, with a, just a broad question about what is the current state of utilizing osteobiologics? Where are we going? How far have we come? And where do we see the future with this technology and spine surgical approach? Um, I'll start. Uh, so obviously, even this year at NAS, we can see that there, uh, we have several sessions focusing on different types of biologics for spinal fusion and disc regeneration. And we've seen over the past decade or even actually longer, an increase in different types of osteobiologics, um, their use. And, but what we are still lacking is the evidence. And very often there is a disconnect between the cost, uh, the volume of use with certain osteobiologics, and then the clinical evidence that it's present out there. Um, so definitely, at the same time, there is a lot of innovation around the implants that are used uh, with those osteobiologics. And then at the end of the day, it will also depend on patient comorbidities, what type of uh, spinal fusion uh, we are looking at, if it's a single or multi-level. So a lot uh, plays a role with osteobiologic, but definitely. And what um, our group has done uh, within our Air Knowledge Forum, we have uh, created established a classification that will hopefully allow uh, various stakeholders to look at the osteobiologics and then the classification will classify them based on the available evidence. So, Do you feel that the, the field investigating osteobiologics is, is moving forward with new investigators and, and uh, new approaches to investigating their utilization in spine care? Um, y- I believe so, because we constantly see an increase also in the volume of spinal fusions. Mm -hmm. So there is need for osteobiologics and next generation of osteobiologics. And given the cost of overall care for uh, spinal pathologies, uh, I think uh, there is effort in reducing the cost of certain osteobiologics or just overall. But at the same time, there are other types of Um, novel technologies or uh, treatments that uh, we are hoping can restore more motion. Mm -hmm. So definitely the whole field of biologics is branching. Excellent, excellent. Do you have any uh, comments on this? Osteobiologics have taken a huge change in the last 20 years that I've been studying them. But I think this year in 2021 was one of the more significant years as the FDA finally put guidance around osteobiologics and homologous use and products that did not fall within homologous use uh, 
to try to give some uh, barriers to give patient care uh, better, better guidance, right? So uh, looking at products that did not fall within homologous use and saying they can no longer be used for spinal fusion. I think that was a big deal. Uh, the other big deal is we had our first uh, PMA class one uh, osteobiologic approved in the last 18 months. Uh, all these products in the past have either gone through the uh, human tissue product uh, way or they've gone through 510Ks, but both have very low, uh, low uh, barriers for clearance, right? So they come to market uh, from their side without having to do much work, as you pointed out. But uh, I think it was a really big deal to have our first cl class one product brought into osteobiologics. And I think it raises the bar for everyone to realize the evidence is required. Uh, at our hospital, uh, we have a bone banking committee and we review the evidence before things are allowed into the hospital. And uh, we've had that for as long as I've been there. And I think it adds a lot of criteria, it adds a lot of uh, patient safety, but it also adds a lot of criteria to what is a valuable osteobiologic. So I, I think you're exactly right in your assessment. So great, thank you. Um, I, I have a second question here, and, and just on the topic of intervertebral disc regeneration, and, and similar to the same question before with osteobiologics, uh, how far have we come? How far are, are we going? And what does the future hold? Are there any promising technologies or applications for IBD regeneration? I think if we look at the literature, um, and often, I think our field of disc regeneration uh, gets compared to articular cartilage uh, because there is chondrocytes are chondrocytes, mm -hmm. um, which is not necessarily uh, true that it's the same type of a chondrocyte. But uh, in some other orthopedic uh, fields or subspecialties, uh, if we look at use of certain biologics, in regenerative treatments. I think here in, in the spine field, when it comes to disc regeneration, we are still lagging. And I think that's really also due to the complexity of disc itself and the environment. Um, but at the same time, we have a really large number of um, in vitro and in vivo translational studies in uh, cell cultures and animals, but it's really hard to translate them into clinical trials. And certainly scale and just the conditions, but um, also really thinking big picture and what do we need to regenerate a human disc? And is it one level that uh, is degenerated? Or are we trying to do multi-level uh, regeneration? And um, again, uh, referencing uh, sessions uh, this year and in the previous years here at NAS and within other societies, obviously stem cells are always a hot topic. Mm -hmm. I actually don't know if we should use the word hot topic, but they've been, and they are used, they're not FDA approved for disc regeneration. And if we look back at the evidence and research and the analysis that have been done, um, research points out that uh, stem cells would need several decades to regenerate. 25% of disc tissue. Hmm. And uh, certainly, and other studies have shown that in certain settings, those stem cells don't survive for too long. So when, it, when we think about this uh, regeneration, I think we have to take a step back because all of the clinical research and our group has looked at 
various cells uh, used for uh, disc regeneration in clinical setting, we always come up with the conclusion that there is no evidence that it's very uh, low level uh, quality, high risk of bias, usually small sample size. And I think one of the problems is that we still don't have a well-defined patient population mm -hmm. that would benefit from uh, regenerative treatment. And then what is the best regenerative treatment? Mm -hmm. Is it just cells or is it a scaffold? Mm -hmm. um, there are some novel technologies that are trying uh, to create scaffolds that are not only hydrogels, uh, but that they can provide mechanical structure mm -hmm. and having homing signals for residual cells or maybe cells that will be injected together with the scaffold. So there are so many different variations of what might help this regenerate and we have a lot of bench work. But, um, and absolutely there are clinical trials uh, with different growth factors, cells, and uh, it will be interesting to see the results of those trials too. Excellent, excellent. Doctor, your thoughts? I think one of the biggest problems with the IVD re regeneration is that, to your point, we've never actually decided what the patient selection would be for that. Um, when we look, often we look at Furman grades and we can see Furman grades and what we realize is there isn't necessarily a correlation between Furman grades and clinical outcomes. Uh, so who is that patient? And then we have to realize that there are two very different structures. Are we trying to regenerate the nucleus or are we trying to regenerate the annulus? Right. And they have, they have very different uh, characteristics and regeneration of them would be entirely different. So we have to think about what are we trying to achieve, right? We're trying to achieve the patient out of pain. If, you know, if we got a disc height back, but the patient was still in pain, then we're a failure. If we get, you know, if we get a white disc back on, it, on an MRI, but the patient's still miserable, we're a failure. So what we're really trying to think about is pain and function. They're the two things that we try to really bring back when we're trying to do this. And the question is, which is more important? I can work all day, but I'm in horrible pain. Mm -hmm. um, or I'm in no pain, but I can't leave my bed, right? Mm -hmm. So that, that's, and I think the disc is where this problem comes. It's not with the vertebral body, it's with the disc. That these, this influx of trying to figure out the correlation between pain and function. Um, so I look at IVD uh, regeneration in trying to bring back pain, get the pain and function aspect of it. Uh, we've done some work looking at PRP over the years mm -hmm. and looking at how those patients have done, and they've done very well, but to your point, it's a small patient populations, uh, very small center populations. But this interventional spine is honestly the way we're going in the future, is that someday we'll laugh about putting so much hardware in patients when we could have just put in an injection. Mm -hmm. Um, the most interesting I've seen, I've seen this year is pharmaceutical approaches are coming to market. I've seen one, uh, pop, one uh, area where they're using amino acid chains, where they're going to do injections with amino acid chains. And these amino acid chains are able to uh, rebuild the collagen to some ability. Uh, and the patients are reporting better function and pain. That work had come out of South Korea. And I, I was very intrigued by it because I thought, wow, what if we could just give someone a shot and mm -hmm. they're better tomorrow. I mean, all of us would give up giving sur having surgery if it was just a shot or two. Right. And uh, I think some of the work we're seeing around the world gives that we're finally seeing pharmaceutical approaches, not just uh, laboratory approaches. And I think that some of these things are really, really about to come to market. Wow, that's good. That's, that's promising then for the future. So, um, well, this was great. Thank you for both giving me your expertise on these topics and uh, I believe that's uh, the end of this talk for now. Thank you.
Thank you so much. Have a great day.